What is going on everyone? Jason Moppin here and you are listening to the Elevate Industries podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to all of our podcasts and making this episode and all the other episodes what they are. Without our listener support, we would not be bringing this message of hope like we're able to. Right now we're being broadcast to over 25 countries. I couldn't believe that when I saw those stats. Latest one being Kenya. So Kenya, thank you for tuning in. Welcome to the Elevate Industries family. All you other countries, thank you so much. So proud to have you on board here. Welcome to the Elevate Industries family. You're beautiful. The focus and the purpose behind this podcast is to bring awareness to mental health needs and provide education and help for those facing mental health issues in today's world. If you like this podcast, leave us a review on Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to this on. Believe it or not, those reviews are pure gold. They help us stay up in the rankings and they help our podcast become visible to a lot more people. So please just take the five minutes. I think it takes two minutes to do. Leave us a star, leave us a nice review, and uh, we will greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, Today, we have an amazing podcast planned for you. We're doing the Enneagram series. And I know some of you out there, my cynical Irish friends, and I'm thinking of one in particular, Derek, not to mention your name, um, but my cynical Irish friends that basically see the Enneagram, they're like, ah, I don't want to take another test that everybody else has taken. And they hear the word Enneagram and it makes them want to vomit in their mouth. But I'm telling you, I have taken, there's so many personality tests out there right and they're in there and you can get lost in them there's so many that are confusing this is the one personality test that i have taken that it is spot on after i've taken it i literally thought somebody was reading my mail i'm like man someone's spying on me this is nuts i cannot believe how accurate this is so it's called enneagram because it's a nine there's nine different personalities basically a nine pointed star don't freak out it's not a pentagram it's enneagram okay so one through nine you can be a personality of one two three all the way to nine and then you'll have a secondary what's called a wing so for me i'm an eight with a wing of seven so i have most characteristics of an eight but i also wing seven okay so you can maybe be a six and wing five or be a six and wing seven or be a four and wing five or be a four and wing three so it's either the number your wing is the number before or after your primary number so um, don't get caught up in all that right now go to enneagraminstitute.com take the test take the paid version it's so much better than the free version you'll learn about yourself they're not paying us to advertise this if you want to be different and change your life you have to learn about yourself and you will learn about yourself great things the positives about you and then what we call growth areas okay and we're talking about that in today's podcast without further ado my guest today one of my good friends his name is tyler wolf and tyler he's an enneagram seven with an eight wing so the opposite of me i'm an enneagram eight primary with a wing of seven he's an enneagram seven with a secondary wing of of eight and i'm telling you this is a podcast you're really going to want to tune into sevens out of every other number are more prone to addiction and tyler fell into addiction at an early age and you get to hear his story how he was able to rise from those areas that of of growth that he knew he needed to rise from unhealthy version of a seven and he was able to rise to the healthy version 
of the seven. A father of two kids now, beautiful wife, been clean and sober for over 12 years. Anyways, without further ado, I introduce to you today my good friend, Tyler Wolf. Hey everyone, I got my good buddy here, Tyler Wolf. Tyler, how long have we known each other? Um, let's see. You are the director at the school I went to. Uh, let's see. I've been married to be nine. I I base all around my marriage. Man, probably eleven <laughs> years now. Ten, eleven years. Eleven years, man. Wow. Okay, so that's a long time. Um, but you know, one of my one of my closest friends, I would say, just a great guy. Even when you were in the the school I was directing, just felt a close connection to you. Mainly because you make me laugh. I like people that make me laugh. Um, but one of the funniest guys, honestly, that I have the pleasure of knowing and, and also just one of the most creative people. I remember when we were, when I was directing that school, um, you coming up with these crazy videos, man. Like one was like a stop motion video that (laughs) I was like, how this guy, he spent 10 hours on this thing and it was literally all stop motion, which people, if they don't know stop motion, it's a picture, one picture, one frame at a time, right? Yeah. I mean, that was nuts, bro. And that that's still <laughs> one of my favorite videos that you did to promote, you know, the, the college. So, um, oh, thanks, but man. yeah, just super creative dude, amazingly talented, um, you know, left-handed Kurt Cobain guitar player, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, ex- extremely messed up foot. Like I've never seen a foot yeah. like, like Tyler's man. Like, and yeah. you know, I, what talk to me about that foot, dude. That's, that's historical. I just, yeah. I was born. It ended up doing me a lot of good, but I was born with a, with a strange foot. It's basically a club foot. And, uh, I had no interest in, I mean, as you mentioned me being a creative, I had no interest in sports <laughs> as a teenager. Uh, so I didn't really realize that it was super strange until uh, I became an adult, you know? And you were trying on shoes and you saw the guy next to you, his foot, and you were like, oh, geez. <laughs> uh, what it was, was I got engaged. I got engaged and was just like, okay, I need to probably get in shape here. So I was like, well, I didn't have much money. So I was like, well, I'll just start running yeah. to lose weight. And I, that's when I noticed my foot was weird when I started running. <laughs> you know? Which, and of course, dude. like my mom knew when I was born, they put my feet in cast to try to fix or whatever. So I obviously I knew, but I didn't know the effects of it. Um, but I ended up, I remember I, I started to love running. And as we'll talk about in this episode, I got like addicted to running. Like I was just obsessed with it. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. And somebody talked to me. They were like, I don't think you should or can (laughs) run a marathon with that foot. They were like, you really should not do that. And dude, that was... That that's was all, all you, I needed to hear. That's all you needed to hear. That's crazy because that's so true, man. I'm the same way. Like, bet against me. That's my motivation. You put your money against me, I will I will show you every time. And that's the same way with you. Like, you, you say I can't run. Like, what do you run? Like, five miles a day? Not not as much these days. No, I run. I, I run. Uh, I, I've kind of switched my focus. But, I, yeah, I run a few miles a week. 
Which your sister, man. You know, so I've known your sister, which she was on the podcast, Melissa. And yeah. I, man, like she is an avid runner. To, to say she's an avid runner, that's like an understatement. The the, the girl's like com- completed like 50 marathons, it seems, has, ra- has ra- ran the Boston Marathon, which is crazy yep. to me. But you kind of followed in that, man, where you really got in that you know, running and, and like you said, addicted to that, man. Hey, can I ask well, you, know you what to, I, you know what I did that? with, with her was, uh, we, she's been running longer than me, but we've been running marathons about the same time. And she, I don't remember the exact dates, but she's my big sister. And so she booked her first ever full marathon. Let's say like, it was like August 1st right? and she had it on the calendar. So what I did was <laughs> I went out <laughs> And I ran a marathon on like July fifteenth <laughs> <laughs> to get one in before her. Anything, <laughs> anything to stick it to the man, dude. That's oh, dude, so funny, man. That's so funny. Well, you know, today's podcast. I have a feeling this podcast probably go over my normal time limit because you're you're such an easy guy to talk to, man. I love it's not that I don't like talking to my other guests, but <laughs> you know, um, this is more you're just, you're just a fun guy to be around, and that's really goes. We're talking about the enneagrams, and a lot of people hear the enneagram and they kind of freak out because it sounds like pentagram. <laughs> I found <laughs> out, you know, and people are like, "I'm not into that. I'm not into that satanic worship." I'm like, it has nothing to do with you know, you know satanic worship. It's just a nine pointed star describing the personality types one through nine. So today we're talking about with Tyler. Tyler's a seven. That'd be yeah. pretty safe to say, you know, even though when we first did this test, which I'll, you know, mention the Enneagram Institute, if you go to Enneagraminstitute.org, you can take the test, take the paid one. It's like 13 bucks, but totally worth it. A hundred questions you answer, answer them honestly, openly. And I found people want to answer them because some of them are tough questions. You want to answer like you, like you wish you were instead of what you are. Right. Yeah. Because you want to be, you know, it, and it's not right or wrong. Whatever number you are, it's just your personality. So I, I want to highlight the positives in, in all these episodes with every number, but I also want to talk about the growth areas for all of them as well. And, you know, I want you to be the guy that interviews me for mine. So, um, you know, I'm an eight. <laughs> so I will eight with a seven wing. And it gets kind of confusing when you think about it. But so I'm an eight with a seven wing. And what are you a seven with a? Eight wing or seven with a six wing? Seven with an eight. Seven with eight. Okay, so you're exactly opposite. Okay, which yeah. is crazy. But um, but I think that's one of the reasons why we connect so well because, you know, there's the the personality types there. But so with the Enneagram 7, you know, in brief, and you can interject here anytime if you feel, you know, because, you know, when you go through this, sometimes you, like you, like you, you wing to a, to an eight. So you might not have some of these personality types, you know, if, but when I took this test, there's so many personality tests out there. It's unbelievable. Like the IK in EFJ or whatever person leadership test. This one was the most accurate for me. I felt like, I felt like someone was legitimately spying on me, you know, yeah. doesn't help my paranoia at all. But, um, I felt like someone was like legitimately like reading my mail and my wife's the one that got me into it. You know, she's like, Oh, I'm doing this Enneagram test and you know, which I'll be interviewing her and she's a six. And, um, and then I was like, wow. And then I read the book, the road back to you where it describes each personality 
in detail and was just blown away about all these different personality types. And then you can read The Road Back to Us, how you can best relate to these people, um, like how, how in your marriage, you know, I, I found if there was a, a point of conflict between Jess and I, how is she best going to receive this, you know, how can I speak her language? Does that make sense? You know, so yeah, that that's what I loved about it is how to relate to other people is not just yourself, but how to relate to other people in a workplace setting, in a in a personal setting, you know, with your spouse, significant other. But so the sevens in brief, basically they're extroverted. Okay, um, they're in my mind they're the life of the party. Okay, so these these people they walk into a room. Everybody loves sevens, man, because they are just incredibly optimistic, versatile, spontaneous. You know, they I consider them like the I think of an otter playing with like a ball, like just or like the 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 dog off of up that's like squirrel, you know, and yeah, the, the ADHD and but playful, high spirited, practical. Um, you know, and, and can become distracted in many different aspects when working on a project. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so you're, you're focused, honed in on a project and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm, I get, I get bored and I'm going to do this over here, you know? And I'm the yeah. same way, dude. I feel like I really identify that. I identify with that uh, in the sevens is like, man, if I'm doing something, I got to take a break in, in that, you know, I don't know, just that the need to just check out and, and be like, okay, take a walk or do something else than what I'm doing at the, at the moment. You can get scattered and, and uh, distracted. But so the basic fear on each of these episodes, we'll talk about the basic fear and the basic desire. And that's really how you know what type you are. So the basic fear of a seven is of being deprived and in pain. You know, they, they fear pain. The basic desire is to be satisfied and content, usually the opposite of fear, and to have their needs fulfilled, you know. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, I don't think anybody really wants to be in pain, but sevens, more than any other, are like, I want to avoid this, you know. Why is that? I mean, why do you feel that is in, in your life? You know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why, but I definitely relate with it and as i one thing I, I i like about the enneagram process for me personally is as i just read that that is typical of the enneagram type seven i was able to look at my life and see all of the ways that i do seek to escape negative emotions sure. sometimes it it does me a lot of good and sometimes it does me a lot of bad um and so you know on the positive side uh, I you know I can turn that weakness into a strength um, in situations where in in times of tragedy or times of I'm around people who are grieving um, I'm able to just subconsciously I've had yeah. a lifetime of I've had a lifetime of compartmentalizing of escaping that negative emotion where I sure. can put that away and I can be um, solid for a group of people that can't be solid for themselves. Um, that comes in, like I, that comes in handy at, in those situations. Not Absolutely. so good, and not so good when um, you need to be facing your emotions or you compartmentalize to escape that negative emotion. Uh, but what you know, what's in you is gonna come out of you. And so then, if I so badly want to escape that negative emotion, um, that I never, 
I never face it, it's going to come out otherwise, whether it be in traffic or it be in a conversation with someone that I love. Um, because I escaped it, it's not that it went away. It just went out of sight. Sure, um, putting it putting it in those suitcases that we off, I often talk about on my podcast where it's, you know, you, you compartmentalize those things. You put those painful moments away. And I identify with that as well, man, my past, like certain things in my past that obviously were painful that I didn't want to face. You know, you put them in that box, you put them in that suitcase and you think you think you've locked it away, but it's there festering and eventually going to explode out, not just on you, but the ones you love, you know. Well, in the words of the great Aaron Wise from Me Without You, a glass can only spill what it contains. Ah, great, great, great band, Me Without You. Love it. Love it, man. What's um, in you is going to come out of you, man. And I learned that the hard way as a seven all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're talking about using that in the positive way. And I've seen that, man. I've been with you at funerals. As a matter of fact, I remember one in particular where I was with you. I forget whose funeral it was, man. But I'm at. we're at this funeral, and Tyler's straight up laughing. Yeah. <laughs> you got people grieving, okay? You got yeah. people mourning. and. <laughs> And Tyler's like laughing, which gets me laughing. And I'm like, bro, they're gonna yeah. think they're gonna think that we are the most insensitive people here. But that's a seven. Like they have a way, they have a, the ability to bring out the best in somebody, even despite their pain. Like, hey, they're extreme optimists. And sometimes that could be a fault because this person just needs to grieve. But yeah, you know, I, and I identify that with that too, man. Cause when I get scared, I laugh. Like my, I was with my yeah. father-in-law a couple years back and we were on the highway and a, he straight up just smashed a deer at like 70 miles an hour. <laughs> and I started laughing like crazy, bro. And he's like ticked off. He's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, bro, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I can't help it. Like when I get when I get freaked out or like anxious or whatever, I'll start laughing. It's like a defense mechanism or something. But yeah, I remember 100%. being yeah, with you at a funeral. <laughs> You're just straight up laughing. Or the time, you know, so I was Tyler's best man in his wedding. Yeah. And I love the story, man. Where That's we're, a great example. Yeah. We're we're backstage. And you're happy, go luck. You're excited for this. And in my mind, I'm going like, okay, man, is he like taking this seriously? Like, is he, is he ready for this? Because you always, you always ask that of your friends. You know, are you ready for this commitment? You know, marriage is tough. It's very rewarding, but you're committed to this person. You got to be committed through the good and bad. In my mind, I'm like, is he, is he ready for this? And then uh, your wife gives you a letter. I think it was right. Yep. And you're reading it backstage with all the groomsmen. And I just remember you just started doing the ugly cry, like right there, just yeah. out of no, like literally went from laughing to like ugly cry. And I'm like, all right, he gets it. He gets it. You know, like he, yeah, yeah. He, you know, so sevens, you can, you can kind of think that they can never be serious or they can, they're always, it's not, it's not that they're, they're trying, they could be trying to avoid pain, painful circumstances, but you know, I don't think that's always the case. They just want to, that's just the way they deal with it. You can either laugh or cry about a situation. And uh, in my mind, I choose to, I try to laugh most times because sure. I feel it helps. I feel it helps more. Right. Sure. So, um, but yeah, key motivations of a seven, they want to maintain their freedom. They want to maintain their happiness to avoid missing out on the worthwhile experiences. Okay. They keep themselves excited, occupied, avoid the the painful experiences um so some of these they say 
and and you can let me know if if these apply to you or or they don't but how sevens would generally describe themselves seven would usually describe themselves i'm always the first person up for a last minute adventure like a spontaneous adventure you know um op, the, they would describe themselves as, as an optimist to a fault um i they don't like making hard and fast commitments to things to be boxed in uh, and they suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out. They don't want to miss out. They want to be a part of the 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 party. They want to be a part of the memory. I I can I totally identify with that man. Like I I want I don't want to miss out, man. I want to live life and live life to the fullest. You know. Um, do you feel that's you? Absolutely, man. That FOMO thing is one of the. As I looked at my Enneagram number, is one of the. Uh, realist things and helpful, most helpful things for me because I do have FOMO, um, but identifying it made me realize the different areas that it would affect. Um, and so if I describe some of these situations to you and, and you relate, you might just might be a seven because um, I realized that FOMO wasn't just I feared missing out on the party or the experience because that's actually understandable. Yeah. It actually would affect negatively, and still does at times, it would affect negatively my social interactions and how I treat people. One of my six core values in my family is honor, and I realized that my FOMO kind of dishonored people that I would talk to. And you and I wow. have talked about this over the years because I would be talking to someone and in the back of my mind, it's not that I was looking for someone more important to talk to, but I had sure. this layer of FOMO of who else I could be talking to. Again, not because other people would be more important, but sure. just based out of the fear. And so I would be this, I would appear to be a social butterfly. Oh, he's just floating around talking to everybody. What was happening was I was operating out of fear, not yeah. settling down, not truly listening to people because I feared missing out on other conversations. And I had to sit there and ask myself, Miss out on what conversations? Right, right. You're not missing out. They're there. They're, those people will be there. And if they're not there, when you're done with this conversation, after you've honored this person with your attention, yeah. uh, then you didn't really miss out on anything. Another thing is this understanding the FOMO of being an Enneagram 7 is financially, I would... I would not spend. You've seen how cheap I can be at times. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like I would find the cheapest. Shoes, you're thing. buying your running shoes from Walmart. Yeah, I would find the cheapest thing because, or I would not make a decision on an expense um, because of fear of missing out on the money. I just wanted to have it because if I spend it, then I don't have it. Right. Okay. Right. So you have the money. Who cares, you know? So uh, realizing that FOMO is very, very true of me has actually been helpful in different areas in my life. Like I said, my, my social life, uh, my financial life um, are two big ones that this has been helpful for me for. Yeah, and, I, and I, I totally can relate to that when fear of missing out because I remember when I was directing the college and – you know, we lived there with you guys. I mean, we had an yeah. apartment. If you, if the listeners can picture this, we're living in this building that we're, we have an apartment. My family has an apartment built out into like a corner wing mm -hmm. of the floor. But there's a guy's floor on the fourth floor, ladies' floor on the third floor. And then my family's up on the fourth floor in the corner wing with a couple rooms. And 
Um, you know, so it was like more of like a residence in type feel. If you've ever stayed in like the extended stay hotel, efficiency kitchen, stuff like that. But I remember us get, were you there when we got the ping pong table? No. Oh, dude, I love ping pong. So, you know, we ended up getting a ping pong table and we were, I was going, I was, I was waking up at like 7 a.m., going from 7 a.m. to like 3 a.m. And I was doing that for several years, bro. Like where at the end, I just wanted to, because I, I was, it wasn't, it wasn't just that I was, had fear of missing out, but I wanted to sp- spend time with these students to make sure they had the right development when they left. They were they were going to be legit, and I just had I had genuine fun with with playing ping pong out there, man. Being competitive, there was some we we got really good, you know, and uh, we had some. And I remember my wife coming up to me, and she's like, "Hey, can you just please be home for dinner?" <laughs> you know, yeah, because from seven a.m. till sometimes, like I said, three a.m. I'm going and having mentor meetings with these different individuals. I'm. You know, we're teaching classes. We're you know dealing with the financial aspect of it. Uh, you know, and then at night it was like, okay, this is my checkout time where I can just hang and we're not talking about anything serious, too heavy, and I'm just playing ping pong. You know, with the guys, mm-hmm. and that was so fun to me. You know, or when you were there, we were just laughing or playing music or doing yeah. videos or something, something crazy. You know, and so I remember, like you said, that. We could we we could basically, you know, the, our significant other could probably feel. I know Jess at that time felt like she was taking you know the back seat to what I was doing, and I was like, oh man, I'm I'm missing the mark here. I need to prioritize my family more than I'm prioritizing these students, right? Sure. So yeah. so so it really, I I totally get that FOMO thing, man, because you you want to you want to live life to the fullest. Go big or go home, you know. If it's worth, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. That's like the thesis statement of a seven. I feel like, yeah, you know, there, it's it's just if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. We're we're constantly, you know, living there, and that can be unhealthy at times. Which leads us to, out of all the enneagrams, the seven struggles with addiction more than any of the other numbers, you know, and you know that. It's most prone to addiction, stimulants, caffeine, cocaine, amphetamines, no matter what it may be, because those chemicals and, and drugs and alcohol make you forget about the the painful moments, right? Uh, so talk to us about that, you know, your history there, where you come from in that, you know, why why you even got into that, you know, the addiction side of it, Um talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, when I look at the, when I look at the Enneagrams type seven, I kind of narrow it down personally to four things. Um, Access, uh, enhancement, escape, and excited about everything. Okay. That's good. So access, enhance experiences, escape negative emotions, and excited about everything. And especially those first three, those, those can be strengths, but they're actually a recipe for destruction. Uh, and they proved to be so uh, through my life for, you know, eight years of my life. Because I started using drugs when I was 12. And that was after, um, you know, counselors and, and doctors talked to my parents. Before I ever did a drug, they said, hey, listen, 
we he is textbook this personality type. They did obviously they didn't say Enneagram, but they said he is this has a very addictive personality. You need to make sure that he never gets his hands on drugs because oh, if geez, he ever gets yeah. his hands on drugs, they're <laughs> never going to get their hands <laughs> off of him for sure. Right, right, yeah. So, you know, I started using drugs at the age of age of 12. You know, I had experiences as a child. I had seen things I could never unsee, did things I could never undo. You know, I was sexualized as a young child. And then as I got older, I turned 16. And, uh, you know, this isn't my my phrase. I heard this from a, a, a director of another college out in the Twin Cities. But this described me uh, sexualized as a child, unsupervised as a teenager, Combine all that with being an Enneagram 7, I was off to the races, man. Um, Just in a lot of pain. I knew that doing drugs was wrong, so then I was ashamed of myself. Um, And all of the pain, negative emotion. Shame, negative emotion. Enneagram 7 will do anything to get away from it. Enneagram 7 loves loves things in excess. Enneagram 7, um, I like to enhance experiences what better way than with drugs and alcohol to do all of those things? Wow. Um, so I thought until it started to kill me, you know, I used uh, heroin for the first time when I was 17 and it just changed my life. Um, my mom used this analogy of a light switch. Um, she was just like, one day my son just changed. She goes, right. it went, you went from being light to like embodying darkness. Uh, and I just was a monster. I was just it became a, a criminal, uh, was willing to do anything to get money to get high. Uh, a- age of 18, I was such a severe alcoholic that I couldn't get through a shift at the grocery store without drinking. And so oh. I was shoplifting and I was hiding liquor in, in garbage cans. And so every time I'd pass by the garbage can in the bathroom, I would just drink until I hated myself a little bit less, right? Escape negative emotions, excess. And, uh, you know, needless to say, lost that job and every other job I had, evicted from every apartment I ever had. Um, And, uh, you know, February 4th, Valentine's Day, 2009, I'm sitting in my apartment and excess. I'm I'm just trying to push the limits. And I put a needle in my arm full of a lethal dose of heroin. And uh, I overdosed. Knowing, and I remember, that it, knowing that it was a lethal dose, or are you just no, trying to trying to no, chase just, that dragon that that you exactly. try to get to, right? Yeah. Yep. Just pushing the limits, and uh, I survived that overdose. I was injected with the antidote to to uh, to an opioid overdose called Narcon, and I woke up, and uh, I woke up to the sad reality of my life, and the strangest thing. I, it was just so clear to me in that moment that I, I wished I had died. It was wow. such a strange, especially looking back, such a strange phenomenon. I was so in fear of my own emotions and facing who I was. I was just like, why did I have to wake up, man? Why did I have to survive and get back to this life? And so I hit the streets hard for, you know, weeks and months and months until the same thing. May 2nd, 2009, I'm in the backseat of a car in a drugstore parking lot, lethal dose of heroin, no Narcon, no paramedics, none of that this time. And for whatever reason, man, you know, one minute I'm suffocating, overdosed in the back of this car, and the next minute I wake up, you know, blood running down my arm, needle hanging there, and I wake up and I just gasping for air, people panicking all around me, and I got out of the car and I just began to pace back and forth once again, faced with who I was, but something clicked in that moment. Uh, 
and I just had this voice rushing through my head saying, listen, man, you're a liar, junkie, thief, homeless, criminal. No family right. trusts you. You have no real friends. Uh, and uh, I knew that I had to change. And, you know, and I did. I went and I did a year in treatment. You know, I really, you know, I had an eight year problem that I wasn't going to solve in 30 days. So I spent a year in treatment straight uh, 300 miles away from home. And it's been a, it's been a journey. Uh, I've been clean for about 12 years now, somewhere around there. I don't count the days real close. Uh, but even still, 12 years down the road, I have to know, and, I, and the Enneagram's been somewhat helpful for me in this, recognizing um, my triggers to escape emotion and enhance experiences. Um, and now, you know, I'm in my 30s now, so, you know, I used to do heroin and drink until I had no memory to enhance experiences, and now I grab, like, a seltzer water to make this drive more fun. You know what I mean? Very uh, <laughs> 32-year-old man uh, enhancement. But <laughs> Dude, I, you know, we I did a podcast a couple episodes ago interviewing uh, an addiction counselor, substance abuse counselor. And um, I'm telling you, man, like heroin's one of the hardest drugs to get off of. Yeah. And that you have... There, I, it, people listen to this podcast. I would dare to say everyone listening to this podcast knows somebody that is addicted to something. You know, yeah. it's it's a pandemic. You talk about a pandemic, man. Addiction is it, people know somebody that's addicted to something, and quite yeah. honestly, this coronavirus pandemic hasn't really helped with that because it's forced people to go indoors and isolate, which causes addicts to relapse and different things like that. But I commend you, man, for facing those demons because that people don't realize to seven that that's their 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 core fear is to face face that pain. You're having to yeah. face that pain and you but I think that's where that that eight wing comes out in you. Like okay, I, I'm gonna do this. If I'm a, if I'm gonna do this, go big or go home. I'm gonna do it all the way. And I've always noticed that about you that you'll you'll go at something and you like even when it came to the running thing. This guy has a club foot and he's doing marathons. And uh, yeah. you know, twelve twelve years clean here. You decided, hey, I'm not gonna live my life as a junkie. And most people don't get to that step because. They're afraid to face those demons in the closet and deal with the hurt that they've caused their loved ones along the way, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I, man, it's, I totally, I remember interviewing you for the college. We would call up and we actually vetted every person really closely and called up references because, you know, obviously we, we, you guys were going to be working with kids and, doing different things, going into schools with me and, and speaking and different things like that. So, you know, my reputation's on the line, the school's reputation's on the line, and we're vetting you guys very, really closely. And I remember calling about you, and obviously the addiction thing came up, but how you had faced it and um, knowing your sister for over 20 years and seeing by virtually just knowing her, seeing your journey along the way and how you, it was just night and day, man, like one day, you know, you're addicted and then you start working on yourself and we're faithful to the process. You know, you know, people hear me say that a lot in this podcast, just being faithful to the process, not looking too far ahead, but just saying, Hey, I'm going to be faithful to the process. So, and that's what yeah. you did, man. And I totally commend that. But I remember calling you up and saying, how would you 
describe yourself. And most people, when I would say that, they would talk themselves up. They would say, you know, whatever, what's your weakness? I really don't have a weakness or anything like that. But when I called you up, man, you were probably the most, not probably, you were the most real person that I that I spoke with because I remember saying, hey, how would you, you know, describe yourself? And you just said, you know, broken, broken, you know, looking for for a chance to change and, and find hope. And, and I was just like, all right, dude, I'll sign this guy up any day because... Nice. Thanks. You know that, yeah. Oh, heck yeah, man! Because it's like, you know, what people don't realize is everyone's broken, but there's only certain few that have the strength to admit it, right? Yeah. So, well, that's and that was uh, I wouldn't have put it this way back in those days. I hadn't articulated it. In fact, I hadn't thought of this phrase until uh, after last year, because last year was a tough year for me with all the isolation and lack of control 2020 i should say not to date the podcast but at the end of 2020 i everything was out of my control um my schedule was out of my control and i just entered into a season of reckless honesty not recklessly honest in that i just say it how it is and i'm reckless in the sense that i hurt others but i don't regard i try not to regard myself when speaking honestly about me and so, and that's, that was a similar concept when you interviewed me all those years ago. It's just like, it's going to seem like it's going to affect you negatively to be totally honest about who you are and what you're experiencing and what you're tempted by and what, what you like or don't like or whatever, what you're struggling with. But man, on the other side of that reckless honesty, don't regard your own safety, but, uh, as far as socially, um, is the opposite of negative emotion it's freedom because now i can just say and i would just encourage other people um to be honest about themselves because now i can just say like yeah dude i'm 32 years old cool i got 12 years sober cool if i get a tooth pulled and the doctor gives me a bottle of pills i'm gonna give that bottle of pills to my wife yeah you know I remember you did that to me, man. I remember I did. You, I gave you those pills when I got my wisdom yeah. teeth out because it's because yeah. you know what? I'm gonna be reckless. This this may may make me seem weak, but I don't care. I'm gonna be recklessly honest about. It. I seem, dude. I would love to take some pills and just escape for a day. You right. know what, man? If I'm traveling and uh, I'm by myself, and there's a liquor store, dude. I'm so tempted by that. Twelve years later. Wow. You know wow. what I mean? Seriously, yeah. you've you've been with me when we go to a, a, a hotel. I have yep. the lady come in and get rid of all that liquor. I've seen it, man. I, I respect that, man, because it reminds me. Remember the movie Flight with Denzel Washington? One of the best depictions of what it's truly like to be an addict in that movie. Uh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Where, like, he has he's in the hotel room. He has the little, you know, hotel mini bottle of vodka sitting there, and he's trying yeah. to walk away from it because he he wants to sober up because he is an addict, and you know the you know ATF is it, not the ATF, but the what is it? I don't know the air something. Yeah, but, yeah the whoever's <laughs> investigating him for the yeah they're coming crash. after him. Yeah, they're coming after him for the crash, and he see it, it focuses on the bottle of liquor. He walks away, and then you it, the camera just stays there. On the bottle of liquor, it's almost like a, his point of view of just focusing on that liquor, and then all of a sudden, slow mo just grabs the bottle and yeah. chugs it, and and it's done. So that man brings things into perspective. But you, I remember that man. I remember you got your wisdom teeth out, 
and you hand me the bottle of Percocet and said, hey, man, just, you know, keep me accountable about this. And um, I I didn't look at that as weak. I, not one time when you did that was I like, oh, man, you're a weak individual. It was quite the contrary. It was like, man, this dude is is legit. Like, he he wants, he want, he's continuing to be, you know, thorough and dedicated to be sober. And, you know, despite all his past, you know, he could be like, oh, no, not a big deal. You know, they're, they're, they're Percocet type of thing. But then that leads to something else. So I, well, you've talked that. about it. Sorry to interrupt, but on, you've talked about it on your show before. Brené Brown, the shame expert and vulnerability expert or whatever, is when you, are you know tempted so to speak to be honest about yourself your yeah. fear is that people will see you as weak but when you are truly honest people see you as the most courageous person in the room yeah. um, and I'm not it's not my goal to be seen as the most courageous person in the room my goal is to not let my greatest fear back to the Enneagram uh, get the best of me yeah. So I have. I just have to be honest. I have to be truthful. You know. Absolutely, man. I highly respect that. You know. Uh, so you know the the seven, the personality type seven, that wings an eight. They're they're considered well. Seven in general is considered the enthusiast. You know, because they're very enthusiastic about life, very positive, optimism. Um, you know, but then the seven that wings with an eight is called the entertainer, and I that totally fits you, man. You are the entertainer, dude. When I, I I've seen you in type settings where you're you're in a coffee shop, you know, just jamming out and entertaining a bunch of people, and you are like totally in your element where most people would be freaked out, but you're you're just up there jamming and playing these songs that you wrote, and you know, you were just in your element, and it was just cool. So the entertainer describes you, I feel to to a T, man. Uh, but very enthusiastic about life. Almost everything catches their attention. Sometimes, like I said, it can become bothersome because they can't focus on one thing or have trouble focusing on one thing. Um, they approach life with curiosity, optimism, sense of adventure. You want you want a seven on a road trip with you, and I can't tell <laughs> you, man, how many times we took road trips when we were in the when I was directing that college. And you were, dude, like, I would love, you always rode with me, and that we would laugh. I would laugh so hard, dude, that I, one time I laughed so hard that I almost threw up. You know, I almost threw up because I was laughing so hard, man. Because it's, you know, just, you're, you're someone that, you know, is just so incredibly optimistic and has such a sense of adventure. It's like, dude, I want you on a road trip if I'm driving somewhere because, Oh my gosh, man! I've never laughed so hard in all my life. Um, <laughs> but it, it's talking about you know the different levels of like the healthy levels. So healthy levels would be level one at their very best. A seven is uh, they assimilate experiences in depth, making them deeply grateful and appreciative for what they have. They become awed by the simple wonders of life, joyous, ecstatic, um, and you know the boundless goodness of life just loving life loving people grateful for what they have and with 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 everything and i, I think that's amazing um that's that they're very best and then the average level so what i'll do for each one and you guys can go to enneagraminstitute.com 
um, enneagraminstitute.com and, and take the test and then read each personality type. And you'll see the healthiest levels at the very best. Going, it goes all the way down to unhealthy, which is like the most unhealthy levels, which is level nine. But I'm not going to hit all of them. So I'm going to read that. I read to you the most healthy level. The average level, level four, would be um, restlessness increases, want to have more options and choices available to them. They become adventurous and worldly wise, but less focused and constantly seeking new things and experiences, trying to get that. It almost it, it almost feels like that you you know going back to the addiction, but the chasing the dragon. You're wanting that adventure. You're wanting that excitement, that adrenaline rush. You know, yeah. Sevens are sevens are definitely adrenaline junkies, man. Um, yeah, and they love that. They love that feeling. But the the so it it talks about how money, variety, keeping up with the latest trends are important when they get to those average levels. You know, and then at the most unhealthy level. And this is very few people that and maybe at some point in your life you were like this, but every Enneagram we talk about, including my number, we'll talk about the very healthy levels to the average to the unhealthiest level. And most people don't live at this unhealthy level. I describe the unhealthy level as like San Quentin prison lifers, right? You know, but um, you've probably been there. All of us have probably been there at one point, but the most unhealthy level for a seven is. Finally, their energy and health is completely spent. They become claustrophobic and panic-stricken, very full, filled with anxiety, often give up on themselves and life, um, deep depression and despair, self-destructive behavior, overdoses. You just talked about all that, man. Impulsive, yep. like suicide, generally corresponds to the bipolar disorder and um, his, histrionic personality disorder. So... Um, that's at the most unhealthy level. Uh, do, do you feel that, I mean, I, I think I know the answers, but do you feel that you have been to that level? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not, and I have to, uh, this is most helpful for me when I don't put them in two different camps, the healthy and the unhealthy. Um, and sometimes I'm in one and sometimes in the other. I certainly have gone to those polar extremes on the unhealthy level. Um, but these days, you know, as I have uh, concluded to, to not, you, you know, use drugs or alcohol, um, of course, I keep my guard up. But I've concluded those are things that I just have built such strong boundaries against. Um, but I have but you know what? There's always retail stores open. And so I have to go if I'm impulsively shopping for shoes or jeans or guitar supplies or, um, you know, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so I'm buying stuff for jiu-jitsu that I don't need. Okay, there's some, it, there's some financial impulsivity here. There's unhealthy tendencies creeping in. So I do find all, all of those things. Um, I just have to identify them in my new stage of life. Again, being in my 30s, having kids. Uh, being married, being removed from the criminal lifestyle. Um, those things can be still just as true in different ways, but it doesn't make them right. Right. Man, I, I, the impulse of buying, what's so crazy is <laughs> even with the, the addicts, man, um, my my brother, he, I've talked about this before, but he, he struggles with addiction. And, and um, I remember going home and seeing him. <laughs> he had like... 
a 50-pack box of slinky balls or something like crazy. Like, it was just something so nuts. And I'm like, what do you need this many slinky yeah. balls for? He's like, oh, man, I just, you know, he was tweaking out of his mind and yeah. bought, like, you know, 50 slinky balls. Like, what the crud is this? Like, <laughs> I just yeah. was like, this is crazy. I I'll tell you what, man. I like I said, I mentioned I started I started a new hobby. This is why I haven't been running as much of uh, doing jujitsu. I just I love the UFC, and I love the ground fighters. And so I was like, oh, I want to try that. So I joined a I joined a jujitsu gym, and the uniform that you wear for people that don't know those pajama looking things, uh, it's called <laughs> a gi. Okay, right. so you start jujitsu not owning one, and. Uh, Honestly, if you just do your laundry, you can get by just owning one. And uh, next thing I know it, I, I think I have six. I went out and I <laughs> bought a bunch of... You know what I mean? Right, and here's the two things you. that are happening. Right. There's impulsivity happening there, and there's FOMO happening there. I go, oh, yeah. oh that eased my fear of not having a clean one ready when I go to train ridiculous just do your laundry you know what i mean right uh, like get uh, two yeah right you just get two you know what i'm saying and that's what i started with and then this one was on sale and <laughs> oh my uh, but gosh, those those things so creep funny, in dude. and those aren't the end of the world you know what i'm saying but it's again just to bring it back to the enneagram that's what i, I mean the enneagram is not the end all be all at its at its at its best it's just a helpful way to understand your own tendencies because it's crazy how easy it is to go through your life um, not really knowing yourself or knowing why you do things the way you do. And to young people, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks is a very real thing. And so the sooner that you can get your finger on um, certain tendencies, man, the better because uh, you're going to be less willing to change them the older you get. Right, and then you bring a significant other into that, yeah, and it just compiles, right? And yeah, then um, right. you have kids, and talk talk to me about your kids real quick. You know, love. Tell me the story about those the, those the kids. Yeah, so I have a four year old son named Micah. Uh, he's the man. Him and I are like two peas in a pod. He's a daddy's boy. We are so much alike. We're both very loud. Uh, yeah. We both like to laugh. We both love to fight. Uh, and so we do a lot of that. Um, we both, um, yeah, so we do a lot of exercise together, a lot of physical challenges together. Um, you know, I like to make him carry heavy things up hills on a regular basis. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Uh, That's awesome. And so what's, what's cool is, you know, my wife and I d pursued foster care probably, I don't know, five years ago. We've had 13 foster kids between then and now. Wow. And uh, are you like my, Mother Teresa's child? Are you Mother Teresa's child? Like what's <laughs> <laughs> no man? All I, I all I can say is we just we knew that's how we needed to spend our time on Earth. We just go. Yeah, I'm not saying this is true for everybody. I think more people could do foster care than do, but I understand it's not for everyone. But I fear that that'll sure. give people a a way to cop out. But um. Yeah. I just knew I was going to be wasting my time if I didn't act on that burden. It's well, think the about the psychology of that too, coming from your past. Like you're yeah. like, hey, I, 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 totally think that's connected, even with the enneagram, sure. who you are, 
like what how you're wanting to help these these uh kids man in, that are in these situations well, that are crazy and it's well it's not even just about the kids either I have a heart for families and the kids aren't the ones not that every biological parent is doing drugs but the kids aren't the ones making poor choices the parents right. are yeah and so you know wow. my yeah. uh my my son was in the foster care system and uh when he was six weeks old we got a phone call saying hey there's a kid who needs a home a little boy he's six weeks weeks old the day before i laid eyes on my son i just knew in my heart he's going to be a wolf he's mm. going to be my boy i knew wow. it i wow. knew it and don't get me wrong that was followed by a two-year up and down roller coaster of um you know of we didn't know what his future was going to look like needless to say uh, we we were able to adopt him, and uh, he's had man he's had red, yellow, black, and white all ages of siblings in our house. Um, yeah. Our our house looks like a science textbook, man. Uh, it's like you <laughs> know awesome. intentionally diverse all the time, you know. But um, what what happened was his his biological dad was just not doing what he needed to do to regain custody of his son. And I, uh, it was a battle in, in court and all these things. And eventually I was like, what are we doing, man? Meet me at George Webb. I texted him. I said, meet me at George Webb, this restaurant, you know? Wow. Yeah. And he goes, okay. And I went there and I, and we just had a conversation and I essentially said, who do you think I am? And it became really clear to me that he thought, um, that I was this high and mighty, you know, I'm a pastor for by trade. And, sure. uh, you know, I'm, I don't do drugs. I own a home, uh, all from his point like of view, you were I, looking down on him. Yeah. You know, and little did you know, man, I looked at him in the eyes and I said, bro, you and I are the same person. Yeah. We are the same person. <laughs> and I said, I've heard us, you know, I think I've heard different stories throughout my life about a father having to make the hard choice to separate himself from his son and it was one of the most loving acts he could ever make and i said that's what i see happening here i said i'm not your enemy um and that uh was a really turning point and my son's biological dad and i are friends now uh wow. for it wow. for as long as for as long as it's safe uh he will be in my son's life um, wow dude that is crazy my, bro my son knows that who his biological dad is he knows that i'm his father that's his natural dad and uh it's just you know it's stories like that that i go man i heard a lot of people over the years uh there's people that are dead now uh as a result of overdoses and i'm the one that gave them drugs for the first time you know i i carry a lot of that sometimes but at the end of the day, the life I lived, the life that almost killed me, I wouldn't trade it because um, it has come in handy in situations like that and forming these relationships and having understanding for the broken person. Swing all that back around to foster care. Yes, that's why we do it. It's just because I go, man, I look in the eyes of the homeless. I look in the eyes of the addict and the person suffering, and I don't see them. I see me. Yeah. Wow, dude, that's powerful, man. That is so powerful. You're like looking in a mirror, seeing what you used to be. Oh my goodness, man. That's just, it's kind of well, come full circle now. Well, my son, Calvin, I, I sing this song to him all the time. The Bruce Springsteen song, the ghost of Tom Joad. And that's the whole <laughs> third verse. 
I sing to him all the time. He says, uh, whenever, whenever, wherever there's a cop beating a guy, wherever a hungry newborn baby cries, uh, when there's a fight against the blood and hatred in the air, look for me, mom, I'll be there. Um, and then he says, wherever there's someone struggling to be free, look in their eyes, you will see me. And I just think you don't have to have a past like mine, uh, to, to put this into practice. I think we could all just gain from suffering with those who suffer and celebrating with those who celebrate. And oh, for yeah. me, what gets in the way of that is FOMO and is all the negative aspects yeah. of being a seven, which is why it's useful to know my tendencies so that I can push them out of the way, whatever gets in the way. For me, just suffering with those who suffer and celebrating with those who celebrate um, takes a lifetime, and I'm not perfect at it. Well, you do a great job at it, man, because I remember when my mom passed this past year, you're – you were literally the first person I called just to, and I, I found myself, I, I didn't even know why I was calling you, but I was just like, I needed, I, I just needed, you know, your, how, like you said, how you deal with pain and how I could relate to that and how it, the conversation wasn't too heavy. You were able to listen to me without laughing <laughs> at my yeah, problems. I'm getting able, a little better. Yeah. But able to also laugh with me when I enlightened, lighten the mood. So I love that man, you know, grieving with those that are that are grieving and celebrating with those that are celebrating. My wife and I were talking about that the other day cuz we just recently had a uh had close friends that that lost a child and yeah. Our hearts this week, this past week and even now have been so heavy and I'm like, "Man, why am I why is my heart so heavy right now? And she's like, we're experiencing, we're grieving with them because they're good friends of ours and we know them. And that's, that's why we're grieving with them, you know, and it totally goes along that same line, grieve with those that are grieving and celebrate yeah. those that celebrate, you know, it's, um, but you do a great job at that, man. And, uh, what you guys are doing, you know, it's very commendable, how you've lived your life, how you've, um, and I, I don't feel like there's any penance you have to pay for your past. Because sure. all of us have, we all have dark moments. We all have those demons in our claws that we have to deal with. But you, I think that's where that wing of the eight comes in, that you face things head on, where most, a lot of different other personality types that we'll talk about, some people are passive aggressive about it, but that wing of that eight comes in where you call up, you call him up and say, hey, let's meet up, you know, because we got to talk this out yeah. um, instead of running from it, which I highly respect, um, you know. But personal growth recommendations, let's talk about this real quick. Personal growth recommendations sure. for Enneagram type sevens, okay? We'll do this with each number. So growth recommendations for Enneagram type seven, recognize your impulsiveness and get into the habit of observing your impulses rather than giving into them. You spoke, you know, very well about that. And uh, this means letting most of your impulses pass and become a, a better judge of which ones are worthy of acting on. Not every impulse is, is worthy of acting on or worthy of your attention, right? So the more you can resist acting out your impulses, the more you're, you're able to focus on what is really good for you and finding that balance. And, and that's really difficult for the sevens to do is finding that balance. Um, yeah. But, but you know, attacking it like you're, you're talking about and being honest and vulnerable with yourself uh, learn to listen to other people. They are often interesting, and you may learn things that will open new doors for you. Also, learn to appreciate silence and solitude. 
You do not have to distract yourself and protect yourself from anxiety with constant noise from the television or the stereo or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so well, that one's that, a huge struggle for me, man. I always yeah. have something going to fight the silence for sure. I yeah. still struggle with that. Absolutely. I could totally, you know, relate to that, man. Just trying to distract yourself by staying busy. Um, there's positives mm -hmm. to that too, you know, like, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground. We've heard that saying before, but we all, we could almost like I was doing before I can, you know, playing ping pong till three in the morning. My wife's like, Hey, can right. you at least be home, come with the uh, kids and I for a little bit? And I'm like, Oh man, like stink. I'm And of course you're like, no, no, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. No, you need to understand your place. Yeah. You imagine that she, she would beat the crap out of me, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> she beats me <laughs> um, but uh, you do not have to have everything in this very moment that's another thing you do not have to have everything this very moment and we live in such a society where it's like the instant gratification it, it doesn't help because even my kids do this I'll take a photo of them they're like let me see it let me see it yeah yeah right instant gratification you go through Wendy's it takes longer than 10 minutes to get your burger you're like are you kidding me you know uh we live in this very first world problem scenario where everything is very instant gratification so um i can totally relate yeah. to that as well uh always choose quality over quantity that's a growth, <laughs> growth recommendation for sevens always choose quality over quantity you know more is not always um better so uh, make sure that what you want will really be good for you in the long run. As the saying goes, watch what you pray for since your prayers may be answered. In the same vein, think about the long-term consequences of what you want since you may get it only to find out that it becomes another disappointment, you know, um, or even a source of unhappiness. So those are some growth areas that we'll talk about each number and you know, when you hear those, do they, they hit close to home? Like going, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely, man. And when you, t I haven't done all those. Actually, I learned a lot. Just listen to that list. Um, a couple of them I have done, and I'll just use one example, a concept example of choosing quality over quantity. I am all about excess. I want a lot of something rather than one of something nice. Um, and what's funny is when you take those growth suggestions there really is joy and better satisfaction on the other side of it it's uncomfortable doing it but truly man like i can buy a ten dollar pair of jeans and they're gonna <laughs> be broken and they're gonna be ripped or the zipper's gonna break right in half after a week right. or whatever right but if i just spend the eighty dollars on the jeans it's uncomfortable to do it for me because yeah. I fear not having the money and, and I want a lot of something. Um, yeah. It really is so much more satisfying than the other side of it. Um, yeah, for sure. Oh, those are awesome growth suggestions. So the examples they give you for different people, famous people that are sevens, and we'll do this with each number as well. Uh, the 14th Dalai Lama, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Gal Galileo. Uh, Love them. Mo Mozart, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, all these innovators, all these creative people, Amelia Earhart, um, you know, geez, reading through some of these, John F. Kennedy, 
Sarah yeah. Palin, you know, Joe Biden, it says, is a seven, which I sometimes I read some of these and I'm like, I don't know if it's just if they're, I don't know if these people are sevens or, or what. And even in mine, I read some of the examples. I'm like, there's no way. But some of these yeah. are absolute, like Mick Jagger, Elton John, Chuck Berry, you know, Britney Spears, Katy Perry. You know, look at these, the entertainer. It goes back to the entertainer, right? Yeah. Um, Russell Brand, you know, Brad Pitt, Robin Williams. Robin Williams, classic seven, bro. Total seven. That guy, yeah. when he when he passed, I legitimately shed tears yeah. when Robin Williams passed. Like, just still can't talk about Robin Williams. I was watching Hook the other day with my kids, the movie Hook, and she wanted yeah. no part of it. She's like, I can't watch it. It's so sad because a perfect, perfect example of a guy that brought so much life, love, and joy to people's lives and yeah. just just the most talented like individual when it came to improv and most of his stuff was improv man just so quick-witted but dealt with extreme addiction and ultimately right. severe depression you know and you see these memes that go around and you're like pictures of robin williams um different people where they're smiling and it says this is what depression looks like Right, right. Because these people, they don't, you know, they don't show the more sensitive side or, or want to even talk about the more painful side. And I heard someone say, in order to know great joy, you have to first know great pain. Sure. Wow. And I, I, I relate to that so much. Like, if you want to know joy in your life, you got to know what pain is, man. And, and it's inevitable. So... Yeah, just some some of you know different people, Howard Stern, Larry King. You read some of these, I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, John Belushi. Like, if you've never seen that documentary of John Belushi, it's it's crazy, man. You just see this guy that is so talented. He was like the Chris Farley of that era, right? Yeah. And same thing with Chris Farley. You know, from Wisconsin, right. went to Marquette. I'm a huge Farley guy. You know. Yeah. And, that song that Adam Sandler just put out not too long ago, I think it was like a year ago of of Chris Farley. Have you ever heard that song? Yeah, it's tearjerker. Oh man, it's total tearjerker. I've been to Chris Farley's mausoleum up in uh, Madison, where he's originally from, and hmm. you know, just like so, a guy that's that was so talented, you know, just like Belushi, but dealt with those demons and that addiction, and the addiction ultimately won out. Yeah. But that's that's why I love your story, man, is because you're not just another statistic. You have broken the mold. That's what this podcast is all about, is overcoming those demons, overcoming that 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 weakness, facing it head on, and um which huge compliments to you, man, and uh props to you because you you're living that life, man. You're a great dad, you're a great husband, you've reversed the generational curse upon your life, upon your kids' lives. You're taking in kids that would have had that generational curse upon their life and you're helping them see a different side of life, the best side of life. So I think Thanks, that's man. the, yeah, it is. It's a, it's just such a compliment to you, man. I want to encourage you in that. Um, you bring a lot of joy to people's lives and what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing, how people can find you. You have a podcast as well. Share that with us and we'll wrap things up. Yeah, yeah. I have a podcast called The Wolfpack Podcast. It's spelled like my last name, so it's W-O-L-F-E. It's usually like four hours long, like each episode too. And no, most of it I go. Has to do, <laughs> most so of it is laughter, a, which I love. Yeah, I love, dude. I'm. 
It's awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, it's so you were an early guest on the show. You got to come back, but it's uh, it's um, yeah, usually about twenty minute episodes. Never, almost never longer than thirty. Um, sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's all about sharing resources. And so, if you think about your conversation, whether you're young or old, you usually go to people and you go, "Have you heard this? Have you seen this? I just read this article. You should check it out." So much of our conversation is made up of recommendation. And so, sure. I decided to start a podcast about that. I heard Brad Lominick say that curators are the new influencers. So we don't necessarily have to create something. We can curate something. We can put together a list of things that other people have made. What I love about that is I get to be an arrow pointing to others and be like, I'm not going to write you a song. I'm going to tell you about a song this guy wrote. I'm not going to make a movie. I'm going to tell you. And so that's what the show is all about. So I have guests on and they share about what they're checking out. Um, But you can uh, find out about that at Wolfpack Podcast on Instagram at Wolfpack Podcast, Wolf with an E. Yeah, that's what I do. Always appreciate your vulnerability, man. Um, that's what this podcast is about. As the listeners, you guys know, I'm never going to bring anybody on this show that's just going to prop themselves up and you know constantly be bragging on themselves. I, this is a, this is a podcast where it's just like, hey, very real, vulnerable, open. And out of all my guests, honestly, Tyler, like you represent that man with the life that you live. Going, hey, uh, learn from my my mistakes, my weaknesses, and. Um, so greatly appreciate your vulnerability in that. And that's not always easy, man. Vulnerability, yeah. I had to learn that. Vulnerability is strength. All you <laughs> listeners listening in right now, remember that. Vulnerability is strength. And you got to know who to be vulnerable to. It's not like you just go out there sharing your story with just anybody and everybody, those personalized moments. Right. Um, even when I speak in schools, like my life is an open book. You guys know my story. I come from a history of abuse, suicide. Um, you know, family struggles with addiction and it's like, my life's an open book, but there's certain stories that I don't tell because they're, they're too painful. And, you know, you, you can actually cause what's called secondary trauma to people by sharing some of those stories, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, so you got to know who to be vulnerable to, but I totally respect your vulnerability and, and your openness, honesty with us today. Um, great friend of mine and check out Tyler, keep him. Um, subscribe to his podcast, listen to it. Tyler, thanks for being on the show today, man. Love you. Love you too, man. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. That was just one of the most real guests I've had on my show. And that's what this podcast is all about. Being vulnerable. Vulnerability is strength. And I have to constantly tell that to myself. When we interview my number, which is eight, eights are very guarded, usually because of from trauma from past. So there's a reason why I'm guarded. There's a reason why I don't trust easily. You have to earn that. Trust is earned, right? So, but you got to remember vulnerability is strength. Vulnerability is strength. Choose to be vulnerable and choose to be you. If people don't like you for you, then have them move on, okay? Remember, I my primary job is motivational speaking. I love speaking in schools. Schools are opening up again. All you principals, you teachers, students, start putting that bug in your principal's ear, your teacher's ear right now, your counselor, whoever brings speakers in, communicators to your school, because that's my primary job. I love to communicate with students, and talk about some of these things in a face-to-face situation. You can go to elevateindustries.com, fill out the book now form, 
and get your request in as right now we are booking up we're getting there for 2021 so excited to be doing live events once again um, looking forward to that but go on to elevateindustries.com there's different tools for you on there one we have the take off your mask no pun intended with all the covid stuff going on but for 18 years i've been talking about taking off the mask being you being vulnerable being real and um, you can share your story anonymously and see other people's story on there and and, and to see that you're not alone that's really important you got to realize you are not alone. I say that every podcast because you need to hear it. What you're going through, it might be really crazy right now, but you are not alone. So you can get on there, read stories from students and adults alike that have been able to post anonymously, and then you can share your story anonymously as well. Journaling is very powerful, and that's just what it is. It's an online journal where you can share open and honestly with not fear of you know people knowing who you are. Okay. Also there on there is the podcast where you can subscribe to the podcast. If you like it, leave us a review, helps us stay out there. And we got a shirt up. We got some merch going on right now. Okay. Go to the elevateindustries.com website, go to the store and you can get your be the change you wish to see shirt right now. Okay. And that shirt is quality shirt made by a quality designer and looking forward to making more merch so we can you know, continue to have that store open. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember that you are loved and we are here for you. Okay. Um, please remember that it, it's not ever worth it to throw in the towel of life. Life's too beautiful. If you are needing help and you have thoughts of suicide, please call 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. Always remember there is hope. Till next time, this is Jason Moppin, and you're listening to the Elevate Industries Podcast.